Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Daniel Kibblesmith is his first time on the show since uh, the end of 2014. This will be his fourth appearance on the show, and I'm very glad he took the time to speak with us about all things comics and Click Hole and Colbert and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I'm a fan of his work. You've probably seen his work in uh, one form or another. If you're a comics fan, you know who he is. If you're a comedy fan, you know who he is. If not, uh, follow him on Twitter. You probably find him there. It's at Kibblesmith. Uh, the link to that is in the podcast description. Another thing in the podcast description is our Patreon account because it is 2020. And if you don't have a Patreon account, well, you should have a Patreon account because it's 2020 and things are going swimmingly for everyone in this great country and around the world. So uh, consider donating at our Patreon account in the podcast description. If you're listening to this on Spotify, uh, go to youmeetthemeverybody.com. The podcast description is there. Without further ado, here's my time with Daniel Kibblesmith. Let's start where I start with everyone right now. How has uh, your COVID existence been? Um, are you okay? I am okay. Thank you for asking. Uh, our COVID existence has been... Uh, I, I feel guilty that it hasn't disrupted my life more because I have a job that I can do remotely and I was already relatively antisocial. So you're one of the most successful people that's in my orbit. And you're like tangentially in my orbit. I'm In no way am I claiming to have like a, a good friend status with you. But I've known you for roughly a decade at this point. And yeah. you are incredibly driven without being annoying. <laughs> is, it, is, that, is, that how we're, is that how we're describing it? I think it's the highest compliment I've ever given anyone. It's, actually. It, it's incredibly flattering. Uh, yeah, thank you. I think um, there's a, there's a I handful. I guess that's of, what I'm going for. There's a handful of things going on with you. Tell me if I'm wrong. Number one, you have the second city mentality, but it's it's doubled because you're from Oak Park and not Chicago proper. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really big thing. I think um, Oak Park and people from Oak Park uh, always acknowledge this when I talk to them. Uh, it's this kind of like sweet spot where you're really close to Chicago mm -hmm. and the, the town is like affluent enough and sort of artsy and liberal enough that it really encourages uh, our, uh, people, artistic uh, kids uh, trying to turn that into a career from a very young age. So you end up with like a lot of comedians and musicians and actors from Oak Park, like a disproportionate amount uh, and it's right by Chicago. So mm -hmm. you have that kind of, I think that's part of the sweet spot is that you can go to this bigger city that has all this comedy infrastructure in it, but you're still not in New York or Los Angeles. You still have uh, room to, to to move even further into kind of traditional entertainment careers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it ends up being this, this kind of, this shockingly direct pipeline. But also you have supportive parents slash you're from a good environment. You went to OPRF. That's a good support of high school. It's not like you're considered an idiot for trying to go into the arts. It's encouraged. It's a lovely thing. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, I had a terrible time at high school, but it wasn't really the school's fault. It, I just had anxiety and depression and it was this gigantic city of kids. And the thing that got me on the right track was the fact that they had a fully functioning public access television department. And that just became my entire life while I was there. And that's incredibly rare. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's stupid. It's like some, it's like something that kid, like a high school on TV, would have. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible. It's an incredible amount of privilege. Uh, but if I hadn't had that, I think I just would have despaired. Uh, and I did end up still going to Columbia College, which is also part of that pipeline a lot of the time. And at the time, Columbia was open admissions, mm-hmm. so that was great for me, uh, somebody who had totally totally just flamed out in high school with the exception of being interested in movies and TV. So Oak Park has something, uh, I think it's on Ridgeland, a very good comic book store. It is on Ridgeland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One Stop Comics Mm -hmm. is, uh, I've been going there for now, you know, like now literally 30 years and they're hurting. Uh, No, no surprise there for a variety of reasons. Uh, All comic book stores are uh, struggling right now. Um, but uh, they they're they're on the list. So I made uh, everybody I know in Oak Park who is even a little bit interested in comic books. I made them like a a kind of um, a platonic ideal of a comics library and told mm-hmm. them to just go to just go to one stop and throw down like a few hundred dollars if you are able, and you will have all the comics that you will want in your home for the rest of your life. So if you're someone like me who's reading your stuff six months to a year later on Marvel Unlimited, once it hits the time where it's okay, where it's on the free side, uh, am I like a bad person or are you okay with that? I'm fine with it because I, I think that it's such a it's such an esoteric hobby. Uh, I, I think that comics in 2020, if you go to the shop and buy comics or if you buy them digitally or if you subscribe to a service, I, I think it more closely resembles maybe being a music enthusiast mm-hmm. uh, or, a, or a comedy enthusiast, uh, you know, or just something like a little bit more off kilter, something where you have to kind of work hard to spend money on it versus books or movies or things where there's kind of this really convenient, never ending spigot. Uh, I think comics are something where y- you really have to be sort of an enthusiast uh, these days to, to get them. So uh, if people are putting in that effort, I kind of don't care yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which, which vehicle uh, they use to, to support it because um, it's, it's really just kind of about supporting it at this point. Uh, and anybody, you know, can and, and does uh, see the, the big giant movies, but I still think there's something really special about buying or subscribing to the comic books and uh, keeping up with them and, you know, having the kind of secret conversations with your buddies about them that we always have. So I just realized while you were saying those last 30 seconds that I figured out who you, you're Carl Reiner, man. So that's what your trajectory is. I, I, I mean, God, God willing, he, he lived, he lived the life. He lived a very good life. You're going to have a son and call him, uh, meathead. Uh, so you wrote for a comedy show. You write comics, but y- you're you're doing all these things. You have books, and, and and your wife's involved, but you have completely separate projects. And it, you're Carl Reiner. I mean, I I do think, and I think that that this is this is advice I always give to students and stuff. You should definitely look at the people who are doing the the things you want to do. Like I, I always advise people to look at viable career paths. Um, but this one never occurred to me. We, I, we do talk about Carl Reiner a lot at our house. We talk about Mel Brooks a lot at our house. Uh, we talk about, uh, my wife showed me my favorite year, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I think is this sort of like uh, unsung linchpin in the whole kind of Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks catalog. If you just want to like get a, get a feel for those guys retroactively, if you've been following them on Twitter and you know their friendship, and especially this year with Carl's passing, um, it's it's such a nice little you know uh, I don't know what you call it comedy docudrama mm-hmm. about his life. But yeah, I, I I think you're right. I'm 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 mirroring that at the moment. I would love to do more. I would love to direct a movie at some point. So is that on the docket? Is that if you could do anything tomorrow, that's what you'd be doing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a big it's a big step. I haven't really directed substantially ever. I went to film school, but I was kind of all over the place mm-hmm. and fell into more sketch writing and um, YouTube content, you know, YouTube videos. But at the time, that was just kind of this like solo green screen kind of quasi Tim and Eric-y stuff that I was doing at my apartment. And then it was uh, so laborious to shoot and edit that when I started collaborating with people, the writing was the part that I liked and, mm-hmm. you know, didn't, didn't completely exhaust me. But uh, yeah, if, if I was able, I think that where I'm at now, uh, I made the leap to narrative TV this year. Uh, so I imagine that I would like to try writing a screenplay that I actually like, unlike the ones that I wrote in college. You so know, what you're doing now, you're, you're working on a TV show now, but you can't say what it is because it's unannounced and all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah, cool. I'm actually, yeah, I've, I have moved from the unannounced TV show to a different unannounced oh, TV really? show. People will find out what I was up to in 2020, like in like late 2021, early 2022. Um, but I'm, I'm proud and excited and having a good time. This isn't I a joke. The and I, and world I still exists. Exactly. So is the timeline of us finding out what this is completely dependent on a vaccine? No, 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 okay. no. I don't think. I don't think so. I think all this, all this stuff is happening. I'm just trying to be tactful because it's a new. Uh, it's an. I think my dryer is beeping. By the way, if you need me to stop in at any of this, we, I have a dryer uh, not eight feet from me. <laughs> I'm thirty. Am I thirty-seven or thirty-eight? I'm. I'm nearly forty. That's how we do these things now. Yeah, same. Let's go with two guys who are nearly forty talking about their dryers. Oh boy, check that <laughs> box off. Um, Classic podcast. Uh, but you, yeah, this this stuff's happening. Uh, I just because I'm new to narrative TV, I don't want to be the guy who goes on Twitter and no, no, says, no. Uh, "Hey, guess what? I'm working for this cool thing." Sure. Can we talk about Twitter? Yeah, you're on it a lot. Yes. Some other late night writers that have also come from Chicago are on it a lot. Yeah, we're all talking to each other. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like I know what's going on in your lives. Uh, like I actually am talking to you in a way that now in 2020 feels so much different than it did in 2016, 15, et cetera. Uh, are you still comfortable using that social media device as you are? No, not at all. I Why think are you that, doing it? Yeah, it's very addictive. It's okay. very addictive. And I have things to promote. Mm. Uh, it's become this kind of, you know, uh, resting brain. Uh, it's the thing that you do when you're waiting, uh, you know, well, it would have been when you're waiting in line for something back when you could still go outside and wait in line for things. Uh, now it's sort of just like if I'm taking a breather between uh, doing the aforementioned laundry mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, going back to work. Um, 
or, you know, a procrastination tool or a palate cleanser when I'm thinking. Uh, it's just this kind of default mode that I immediately settle back into. And what's different now is that I hate it. Yeah, so and why? Why do I hate it? Uh, I think that it's become a place where I still like all of my friends, uh, but uh, I have friends who don't like each other on there. Uh, I think it's just starting to bring out our, our worst selves, mm -hmm. me included, um, in the past couple of years. Uh, I mean, mostly because of genuinely bad things happening. Oh, mostly sure. Be, you know, people are upset because there are things worth being upset about. <laughs> But it just it makes everything really heightened, uh, and I, I think that it's it's gotten a little bit uh, points scory on there. And I, I, I people that I talk to, you know, everybody has kind of one eye on the door because everybody sort of feels like they could have a really bad day at any time, and the the trade off is not good. I mean, it's not Twitter is not the thing that gets people jobs anymore necessarily. Um, or at least it's not, I've reached a place where I could quit and I, I could probably keep having jobs and selling books without needing Twitter. But it is the kind of thing where if you want to sell a book, because all of these industries are suffering in various ways, you know, marketing departments are a lot leaner than they used to be. So publishers are very interested in people who have uh, social media followings, big social media followings, because that kind of removes some of the risk. So yeah, it's just this, it's become this kind of quasi mandatory uh, and or default hangout of people who are maybe secretly about to snipe at each other and make each other's lives worse. But you also do something that I don't see most anyone else do. You've not archived because that's how everything's archived, but you will pull up a four-year-old tweet when it's applicable to that moment. And it's really cool. And I don't see anyone else doing that. So do you just have a very good memory or do you just control F search term? I thought I made a joke about this a long time ago. How, how are you doing this? It's kind of all of the above. I mean, I do it because I do it because I, you know, I don't think it's a secret. I would like that following to be bigger. That's sure. part of the game That's you're sort of leveling up in Twitter. So uh, if there's something from, you know, 2015 that I can generate more traffic and attention, if I can recycle one of those jokes, uh, I'll, I'll do it to, to get more followers. And then maybe they'll, they'll like me and then check out the things that I'm working on. But the other reason I think I'm so addicted to it is sometimes there's a control F element to it, but that control F is always kind of informed by a vague memory that we've been here before. Got it. And for me, Twitter has very much become my only diary. Mm, okay. Uh, I can kind of remember the thoughts and feelings. You know, if I was if I was so delighted with myself about something, or so angry about you know politics, I can kind of kind of feel that itch in the back of my head and kind of remember where where I was and like you know why does this news story drive me nuts. We've been here before. I already made this. I already had this thought. That's what it is a lot of the time is I'm about to have the exact same thought verbatim four years later. And I can't mm -hmm. believe how ludicrous that is. And I just go dig up the old one instead of repeating myself. It's interesting that you sort of, you use it as a diary because I've done the opposite. I've deleted, I have the thing where it automatically deletes after 30 days. And most of the time I'm still just going and deleting anything remotely personal whatsoever. Like I've never said my wife's name on this show, let alone Twitter. Does that make sense? 
Very much so. I mean, I think that's that speaks to what I was saying a, a minute ago, where people are starting to feel that this is maybe more of a liability yeah. in the long run, uh, that this is more more trouble than it's worth. It's uh, become a really common and popular with my friends to kind of do that auto wipe thing, yeah. where rather than being a diary, it's just kind of the conversation of the day. Well, I feel, no, I don't feel, I don't care. <laughs> I figured, shouldn't say feel, I figured that once you were no longer with the late show, you wouldn't be using it as much because I would, I, I had assumed that for the last handful of years, you had to know everything that was going on in the news for obvious reasons. And then once that you, you were free of that, you wouldn't be on the like machine website. Yeah, it's funny. I ended up kind of breaking even in that regard because I do get to take breaks from the news now if I wish to. And I definitely know less than I would in any given day working uh, for The Late Show. But the other thing was that working with The Late Show meant that I was prioritizing topical material for The Late Show. Okay. So now I might know less, but say more on my personal account because I don't need to make jokes about Donald Trump professionally, but I might still be mad at him. Got it. So I think if I had to guess, I'd say that's sort of the that's sort of the middle zone where I ended up. Right. I still tweet about the same amount. I think that I I think I did it way way less the first couple of weeks mm-hmm. that I was no longer with the talk show, but that was early February. Yeah. And then all of the distractions were gone and I was just back on my phone. Does any part of you wish that you were still with the show just because this is such an odd time and it would be interesting to do something like this? Or are you incredibly grateful you got out when you got out? I'm grateful I got out when I got out because I think that what they ended up doing was really hard. I think that they had to all learn how to do a different kind of show on the fly. And it's really impressive. I've watched some of the home stuff from almost everybody, but obviously I've seen the most Colbert home stuff. And I, I just think it's really good. And I think they in particular are very good at it because he's such a, he's such a, like your uncle in the den mm-hmm. already. Even, you know, even when he's, even when he's in a suit, uh, people are very quick to describe him as dad. Like, uh, so I, I think he, I think he took to the home shows really well. Um, but I'm not, I'm I'm not jealous that I that I got out when I did. I, I think it was probably very very difficult for them to learn how to do that, and I'm impressed by what uh, what a good job that they did. How they hit the ground running. Do you watch any TV that's not um, comic related, as in like drawn things, not haha? Oh, like comic, like comic books, like yes. with the amount, with the amount of comic book adaptations, would I have time for anything else? Yes. Yeah, I made that compromise ages ago. I watch a ton of TV, but okay. um, I don't keep up with much of the comic book related stuff. I watched a lot of The Flash and Arrow when they were kind of the majority of what was going on. But I remember, and this was also something I think I said on Twitter at some point, uh, I remember when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had a whole season about Ghost Rider. And if you had told me as a kid, like, there's going to be this show entirely devoted to Ghost Rider, and you're just not going to have time. Yeah. You're never going to, you're never going to get around to it. Like, maybe at the gym, you'll watch one episode of the Ghost Rider show on your phone. 
because uh, it's, it's just it's too much. So what I end up doing is getting word of mouth recommendations and watching the stuff that's really exceptional. And right now that's Doom Patrol. So oh, okay. so good. So so good. So that's your second HBO plug. Good job. Oh yeah, sure. If they wanna, <laughs> if they wanna send me a check or something. Uh, you. What do you think would have been more shocking, knowing it? Let's say when you were in seventh grade, that uh, there'd be an Agents of Shield show about Ghost Rider, and you wouldn't really care, or that you'd be going to the gym. What would have been more shocking? Yeah, those are neck and neck for sure. I was a I was a round little boy. I was. <laughs> I wasn't trying to make fun of like an overweight kid. <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. This is this is the kind of thing people should know. <laughs> people people should uh, be comfortable with the totality of their of their corporeal experience. Um, no, I was a, yeah, I was a really heavy set, really heavy set nerdy uh, kid. Um, yeah, it would have blown my mind that that either of those things. I yeah, I don't want to choose. I like them as complimentary. Sure. Oh, they're I all like the them same. as like, hey, you're going to go to the gym, and you may or may not watch. Like, you know, there's a star girl show. Like, you will never see all of it. Yeah. You will never, you know, I've seen like one cloak and dagger, I think. There's so much. <laughs> Do you feel worry that something might slip in your Marvel and DC writing? That you there was a reference that's already been made, or there's a character that you just dropped the ball on, or something like that? Or I'm a set. I, I don't know why, but I'm assuming there's like fact check people for comic book scripts. Yeah. I mean, okay. yes and no, there's editors that are really versed and tuned in. And if I've got like an inkling about something, I will ask them in advance. Um, the fan wikis are also really, really good. Mm. Uh, I've never written anything without one of those open the really? entire time. Oh yeah. Even the stuff that I'm really familiar with, you want to, you want to, you want to get it right because that's part of the fun is that it's a shared universe and all this stuff happened, but it's also incredibly inspirational. Like occasionally you learn something about a character and that gets you out of a writing problem. It's, you know, like so-and-so is also, you know, can talk to octopi and mm -hmm. that ends up being the, the solution to, you know, whatever plot hole that you were trying to fix. Uh, and then you look like a genius for using something that's in continuity. But um, that's to to answer your question though, that happens all the time. Even with that level of research, uh, like when we did Loki, I introduced two characters who were described as the children of eternity, which I thought was uh, fun and clever. And then we found out later that eternity was already referenced to have like seven children. And now, if I come back to these characters, I need to need to and wants to reconcile these ideas that I gave him these kind of free floating twin kids mm -hmm. and there was already like a cosmic pantheon. So do you, is the, is the dream for you guys to like create a character and then that character gets put into the MCU? I mean, yeah, th that's rough because it's also, it's also work for hire for a major corporation. So yeah. that would be incredible to have that kind of impact on the the sandbox this thing that you grew up loving mm -hmm. and then and then see see become this you know globally uh known cultural force like obviously i would love to do that but what i'd probably love to do more is create the ninja turtles you know yeah. like do the do the creator owned comic book that but you do adapted. do uh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. I've only got the, I've only got the one out uh, with Elliot Rahal and, and Kendall Good, 
but uh, because I also work in TV, we've 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 talked about it, and we have picture books and stuff. So uh, IP is the phrase I'm looking for. We've created IP, uh, and it's yeah, it's not it's certainly not uh, impossible. But um, yeah, it'd be it'd be a trade off. You know, you 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 do something really fun like create the Winter Soldier, and it it changes it changes the entire shape of this universe and then it changes it even more when it becomes this uh, gazillion dollar movie franchise, but they don't get a gazillion dollars for creating the winter soldier. Hopefully they get some dollars, but I, I won't pry. I want to, I don't want to bet on you, but I mean, Santa's husband. <laughs> I'm, not should... sure, I'm not sure where or how I would <laughs> love to. <laughs> I feel like Santa's husband is like, either has been optioned for something or like that's the easiest thing to turn into something. I will, I will say public in case this is the thing that it hasn't been optioned, but uh, we, we want it to real bad. We think that with the amount of streaming networks and things that are out there right now, come on, Quibi, give them some money. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it in vertical. Yeah. We'll shoot it. (laughs) We'll shoot it vertical. (laughs) Or there's like, Okay, so I have a kid, and my entire life revolves around my kid's nap time and, and when he sleeps right. So I read Goodnight Moon like 30, not 30 times a day, but a handful of times a day. And in the the same author for Goodnight Moon has a bunch of other books, right? And the same illustrator or whatever. So like on the bookshelf in Goodnight Moon is like all of the other books that those people did. And there's like no, knots. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, there's like I knots. I never to the, saw that. There's knots to the runaway bunny because it's the same author in Goodnight Moon, right? I'm like, this created the Marvel Cinematic Universe like, 40 years before Iron Man was shot. <laughs> right. The, the good night moon of yeah. so was I'm already like, going I'm like, throw some burn. Santa's husband uh, lo- in Loki. Like Loki can enjoy Santa's husband. I'm trying to remember if there's been any, like if I've done any Easter egg style crossover, I remember that when the first quantum and Woody cover came out, uh, it's a black superhero and a white mm-hmm. superhero and they're, they're brothers, they're uh, adopted brothers and they're um, grimacing at each other, like with you know half an inch of space uh, between their faces. And I remember showing that to the Santa's husband illustrator Ashley Quatch at the time, and because the Santa's husband cover is uh, two married uh, Santa Claus figures, uh, one black and one white, and their eyeballs are also one inch apart. But it's because they are in love with each other, and it's a cute romantic <laughs> moments. And I remember thinking that the, I was at the time like I was operating off some kind of weird template, where it's like. It's like different relationships, but the important thing is that it's a white guy and a black guy, and they're just staring at each other, and that's your cover. I'm going to say that you just stole that from seeing the Demolition Man poster frequently as a child in Oak Park. You know what? Slam dunk. Yep. That is 100% correct. <laughs> uh, can we talk about the new book, the the not comic book that happens yes. to have drawings? You have Princess Dinosaur. Yes. Coming out in uh, January of 2021. So th- is... And this is technically your first children's book, like Santa's Husband doesn't count? Santa's Husband uh, doesn't count in as far as it is in the humor section if you go to buy it. And uh, it was put out by Harper Design, by their sort of picture book in print. So it's a very very weird and kind of arbitrary distinction. But, I mean, obviously Santa's Husband is an all-ages book, and most of the people who send us notes about it are, are families. Uh, but uh, in the children's book space, Princess Dinosaur is technically our first children's book. So this will be the one that is at floor level for kids to be able Got to it. find the, the big pink spine. Uh, I have to ask the question, if, if you're uncomfortable, I apologize in advance. Do you have any plans to have a kid? 
Oh yes, we we would like that. Okay, we would like that very much. Because I just I, I don't care. You live your life. Everyone should do it. It's, it's also the end times. I understand if you don't want to procreate, but you're the only right. one in my world that's making children's books right now. <laughs> right. Hence no, the I am question. a childless. I'm a currently childless children's book writer, and uh, our illustrator uh, also does not currently have children, but uh, she teaches or has taught. And I'm the oldest of a lot of kids. Uh, I was around babies for most of my life. So it's always a, it's always a headspace that's been a part of me, um, but it would feel great, I imagine, <laughs> uh, to be able to say like, "Hey, Daddy made this," and you're just like, "Whatever, good night, Moon." Yeah, it's a fine book. It, there's really no narrative structure at all. It takes over an hour to put the kid to bed within the book. Oh, that's not a good sign. It's not. A, I mean, what 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 hope do you have? Yeah, come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're one of the. Uh, ClickHole is one of the very few sites that uh, I would go to for a long it's time. So, it's so good. Uh, you're clearly no longer there. Um, you're clearly no, no longer. No, I was only there for like a minute. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I was there at the very beginning, yeah. which was awesome. Didn't you but... leave ClickHole to go to BuzzFeed? Yes. And then that which was sounds over. Like, which makes it sound like that's why. There was... There was... More like the desire to arrive in New York City of course, as, of course. With, a, with a job, but uh, not that... like I picked a favorite between the two. <laughs> and of course, you you're true and true blue to BuzzFeed. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ride, ride or die, or yeah. where I was, another another job where I was there like a shockingly slim amount of time. I got really really lucky on the the, the timing of the, the Colbert packets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was a click hole for about six months. I was at BuzzFeed for about the same amount of time. The reason I ask is because um, BuzzFeed's always seemingly going through a giant shakeup with their finances. Clickhole was recently sold um, to Crimes Against Humanity. Uh, does any part of you miss the 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 print, the satire landscape, or are you just incredibly glad to just be working on Harley Quinn? I'm, I mean, I love working on Harley Quinn. Uh, I mean, I like, I like getting access to that. Uh, I called it a sandbox earlier, but um, what I like about Clickhole and what I really liked about Buzzfeed is the insane freedom of the times, the time that I was there, Buzzfeed let me get away with murder and I would be eternally grateful. If you go back and look at my Buzzfeed articles, they are just from a planet that I can't even see anymore. Uh, it was crazy to have an office job where they were just kind of letting me try stuff because I believe the idea was that I would help launch the humor vertical. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we sort of got it going, that was when I, I got hired for, for TV. So it never really, it never really came together and, uh, it never became a, a, a thing that I, you know, had any involvement with, or, you know, to my knowledge, like ended up really happening with any cohesion, but at the time it meant I got to experiment with like what it meant that Buzzfeed was doing humor. Mm-hmm. And I would just try stuff that I would have done for Clickhole, and it wouldn't work because there's a different expectation from the audience. And you really have to respect that. If you're aiming for success, you have to accept and and this is true of everything uh, you have to accept and lean into what they will let you get away with based on whatever their relationship with that brand is so uh, the click hole material at buzzfeed you know it just kind of didn't make sense to people but there was a sweet spot that i hit occasionally where uh there'd be some uncanny valley but it would kind of feel like most readers could tell that i was sort of clowning on maybe like a pop culture thing mm-hmm. 
and those articles were really really fun um but some of it was just gibberish uh a click hole buzzfeed and colbert which of the three had the best snacks this is a long thinking pause. Buzzfeed had the best snacks. Buzzfeed, really? Surprise anybody? Yeah, Colbert had really good snacks. Um, Clickhole, I seem to recall that the Onion offices had pretty decent snacks, but it was a lot of like uh, jars of candy. Buzzfeed would you could make meals at Buzzfeed, oh, and people yeah. did. It was a lot of it was a lot of like twenty something editors right out of college mm. having like three yogurt and cereal meals a day and fruit and candy and stuff there's a freezer you could take the free candy put the peanut butter cup in the freezer and then eat that like at the end of the day hell yeah oh yeah startup company snacks man um are you when is the last time you weren't happy with your career because to, to ask you if you're happy to ask you if you're happy is like a very silly question <laughs> yeah i feel no, like I, you, I, I don't know but i feel like you've been living your dream for well over half a decade at this point i have but they're exhausting you know like actually because they i, I don't think this is like a secret you know we're, at, we're over uh, there's like a 9-11 in this country in terms of death toll every other day but i think the majority of americans are just it is it's it's tiring to live your dream i think that's really what we're uh what that's, we're learning that's here. the biggest problem that anybody is dealing with right now yeah that's it and the, the foundation of a new religion starring me <laughs> No, I, you know, your hobbies, when your hobbies become jobs, they're harder and you get tired at the end of the day and you, you know, don't feel like doing it all of the time. Um, I left a, you know, I left a TV show. I left a talk show um, working with one of my, my comedy heroes uh, because I was ready to do something else. It was an election year. I could really feel, I could really feel a ramp up to something that I didn't know that I had the energy to do, especially if, I, you know, I, I can't speak for your entire audience, but I don't support the current president. And if, I think you should apologize because um, you have to respect everyone in the WWE Hall of Fame because uh, when <laughs> Donald Trump was inducted into the Donald into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2013, he said it was the greatest honor of his life and he has yet to amend that statement. Therefore, I respect him. I, I, I think if you were going to fish for a reason to respect Donald Trump, you could do worse than he stands by that. He stands by that statement about the WWE. Yeah. Hall of Fame. It's obvious. So, yeah, I, I think if I had to, to pick a time when I wasn't happy in my career, I loved I loved that I had that job. I was very grateful for the job. And if other things had not worked out, I would have uh, kept going every day and, and trying my best. But uh, I was certainly ready for a change. Uh, it's a real it's a real tour of duty working for a, a late night talk show during the Trump era. And I have to imagine a lot of my buddies feel the same way about the COVID era on top of the Trump era. So th that was the last time I really, like I worked hard to make a career change i put an effort into writing pilots and mm -hmm. comics and and things that would allow me to to transition to something else full-time if it hit finally are you happy that you're living through this in new york rather than chicago or literally anywhere else in the country or the world i don't know i don't know that it matters um okay if you're just indoors i, I sometimes i wish that i lived someplace with more of a cult, uh, car culture 
so hmm. I could drive to Home Depot and get a bunch of terracotta planters yeah. and have outdoor space. You know, that would be like my thing that month. Uh, I talked earlier about feeling kind of guilty that it's not affecting me more because so much of my life is just on the internet staring at a screen. Uh, we have an elliptical machine in the house. So our lives have sort of taken on like a Sam Rockwell in Moon quality. You know, I love that poll. So you're a clone of yourself and you're going insane. Who doesn't feel like a clone of themselves going insane right now? I think that's a universal American sentiment. 